It was 1971 when injuries from a truck accident rendered Edwin Robinson legally blind and partially deaf. But then after learning to live with these disabilities, you know, Robinson's sight was suddenly restored. It was actually nine years later, June 9th, 1980, when an approaching thunderstorm forced Robinson to rush out into his yard. And why, you might ask? Well, in order to save his pet chicken. Yeah, he wanted to save his pet chicken from the approaching storm. And as he retrieved his yard bird, you know, he was struck by a bolt of lightning, which miraculously restored his sense of sight. Truly amazing. And listen, he not only received the restoration of his sight, but it's my understanding that he also enjoyed a nice free fried chicken dinner. So maybe not. I don't know. I'm just guessing. But chances are, yes. Now, as we consider how this bolt of lightning was somehow able to restore Robinson's sense of sight, it's even more amazing to consider how Christ Jesus actually restored the sight of many blind men during his days, the days of his earthly ministry. But what's even more incredible than that is that the Lord Jesus has provided supernatural sight for millions and millions of people throughout the years. That's right, the Lord has provided supernatural sight to those who were once spiritually blind. And as we make our way through the text before us today, we're going to consider how the the supernatural sight that the Lord gives to those who were once spiritually blind, it provides us with the victorious vision of our Savior, Jesus. With that as our focus, we're going to consider how the victorious vision of Jesus is given to those who have ears that can hear. Secondly, we'll consider how the victorious vision of Jesus is given to those who have a heart that obeys. Thirdly and finally, we'll consider how the victorious vision of Jesus is given to those who have feet that follow. Well, with this as our outline, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Here we find a blind man. He's seeking the healing touch of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you make your way to the 18th chapter of Luke's gospel account, well, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. It'll first help us to remember that the Lord Jesus, he was on his way to Jerusalem. And the reason why? Well, the time had come for our Christ to be crucified for our sins. After presenting his apostles with a prophecy about his death and about his burial and his resurrection, the Lord Jesus then soon found himself face to face with a blind man who came and asked the Lord to restore his sense of sight. With this context in view, let's pick up our study of Luke chapter 18. I want to focus your attention, beginning there at verse 35 here. Luke tells us that it happened as he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by and he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. 
Now here in our text today, we learn about this day when the Lord Jesus was entering the ancient city of Jericho. And the reason why this, uh, this place is so significant, it's due to the fact that this is actually the same location where the children of Israel initially entered into the land of promise, you know, after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And while it's true that, you know, there was this battle at Jericho upon their entrance, you know, the walls of the city were destroyed uh, during that invasion of Joshua. And, and, and you know, uh, while it's true that the walls of Jericho were destroyed, it's also true that the walls of Jericho ended up being rebuilt under the direction of the wicked king Ahab and, and in conflict with what God had told, told them to do, which is not build those walls again. But here it is, the walls of Jericho are standing, and according to Luke, it was there at the entrance of Jericho where this blind man was sitting there at the road begging. Now, it should be noted that the Israelites, who were reduced to begging there in the first century, they weren't able-bodied people who were able to work but just chose not to. No, no, these were people who were physically hindered by a debilitating disability, In contrast to this, it's sad to say that we now live in a society where many who are able to work just choose not to. One reason why is because the government's happy to give them our money. Yeah, there are people who would rather collect an unemployment check rather than going and spending their days earning an honest living, and I'm not about that at all. Then there are those who would truly rather sit on a street corner and beg for money simply because they want to drink all day. And please understand, I'm not talking about those who are mentally ill and and need real assistance that our government is not really providing for them. I'm not talking about those people. I'm just talking about those able-bodied Americans who just don't want to go punch a clock. They don't want to work. And it's sad to say that there's a whole lot of people who will support that. A whole lot of people that will pay them money to sit there. for this reason that I personally only help people who are obviously unable to work. Before I open my wallet, before I support someone sitting there on the street, I want to know, are they truly unable to work? If so, I'm all about helping them out. But I refuse to give my hard-earned money to someone who just doesn't want to work. No, thank you. Now, you might agree with me about this. You might disagree. You might have another opinion altogether, and I respect that. Listen, if you want to give your hard-earned money to someone who just chooses not to work, that's your money. America is free. You might be that person who's happy to hand your hard-earned money over to a beggar who just doesn't want to punch that time clock. But, but listen, regardless of your specific position on this topic, here's what I hope that we all agree with, that every unbeliever needs Jesus. And, and so if you're handing someone money they're at the street corner because your heart goes out to them. Make sure you hand them a, a Christian track as well. Make sure you give them the gospel message because that's really what they need. Any, anyone you know, who doesn't yet believe in Jesus Christ, including the beggar sitting on the street, every unbeliever needs Jesus Christ. And yet it's sad to say that much like the beggar here in our text today who was physically blind... Many people in the world today are suffering from a spiritual blindness that is keeping them from seeing Jesus Christ. And so that's why we need to go out of our way to help them to see Jesus, spiritually speaking. 
And yet there are many spiritually blind people who are you know, being led around by spiritually blind people. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 15. It's verse 14 where the Lord Jesus referred to those who are blind leaders of the blind. And he says, if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. In other words, the Lord Jesus was helping his disciples to understand that the unbelievers who were there in Israel during the first century They were suffering from spiritual blindness. What's even worse is that there were these religious leaders there in Israel who were also suffering from spiritual blindness, and yet they were leading everyone else. And so in a spiritual sense, he's saying, hey, these, these religious leaders, they're spiritually blind, and they're leading people who are spiritually blind, and they're gonna all end up in the doctrinal ditch. In similar fashion, listen, every unbeliever in the world today is also suffering from spiritual blindness. Now, in light of this reality, I should remind you about the promise that Jesus presented back in in Luke chapter 4. It's there where he declares, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. As we consider this promise that Jesus presented at the beginning of his earthly ministry, we can rejoice in knowing that the Lord Jesus was sent to bring the gospel message to those who are poor. And not only that, but he came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to to liberate the captives. and, And specifically, he came to bring spiritual sight for those who were spiritually blind. He also provided physical sight for those who were physically blind during his earthly ministry, which is pretty incredible. And that's what we find here in our text today. Jesus fulfilling, partially fulfilling that promise to heal the physical blindness of those who are you know, suffering from blindness. And, and this promise, though, is then fulfilled in a spiritual sense whenever those who are spiritually blind receive the victorious vision of our Messiah by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's really what I, what I want to talk about today. I want to consider the physical blindness and the healing that we find here in these verses And I want to compare that to the spiritual blindness and the healing that Jesus provides to those who trust in him. And with this as the focus, let's take some time to consider how this man's healing took place after he heard the commotion. With that, let's turn back to Luke chapter 18. I want to back up and begin reading once again at verse 35. Here we learn that it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it was meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And here in these verses, we find Luke, he's describing the way in which this blind man was, was hearing this commotion of a crowd. And, and as he heard this commotion of the crowd that was following Jesus Christ, he wanted to understand what was going on. He couldn't see what was happening, but he could hear it. Now, this blind beggar could have treated this like a, a, an opportunity for personal gain. He could have thought, oh, there's a crowd. Let me get to work here. Let me, let me start begging a little bit more here. But he didn't. No one said he stopped what he was doing. And he sought to understand the reason for the commotion. It was at that moment when those who were following Christ Jesus began to share what they knew about the miraculous ministry of our Messiah. As a matter of fact, look with me again there at verse 37. Here again, Luke informs us that they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. 
And he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And here in these verses, we find the followers of Christ. They're helping this blind beggar to understand that the person who was actually passing by was no ordinary individual. There was a great commotion. Why? Well, because it was Jesus of Nazareth, knowing that the prophets had revealed that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene, the blind man immediately realized that this commotion that he was hearing was actually being caused by the arrival of our promised Messiah. To prove my point, let's take another look here at his response, beginning at verse 38. Here we learn that he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Here in these verses, we find this blind man referring to Jesus as the son of David. He doesn't say Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. From from the little bit of information about Jesus being from Nazareth, he jumps to the conclusion that this is Jesus, the son of David. And just to help you to understand why that's so significant, it'll help you to know that Jesus is actually referred to as the son of David 17 times in the New Testament. The reason why? Well, it's because the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ is literally a descendant of King David, and and he was sent to fulfill the prophetic promise that the Lord presented in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where the prophet Samuel says to King David, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forevermore. Here we see Samuel helping David to understand that there was eventually going to be one of his descendants who would have an everlasting kingdom. So as we consider the way that the blind beggar here publicly identifies Jesus as the son of David. There's no doubt in my mind that he truly believed that Jesus was the one to fulfill this prophecy in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Jesus is the son of David. And as we consider the conversion that occurred as this blind man cried out to Christ Jesus, we must not fail to recognize the connection between the commotion of those who followed Christ Jesus and the conversion of the blind man who was brought to saving faith because of that commotion. Think about it. It was actually the commotion of those who were following Christ Jesus that helped this blind man to begin seeking our Savior. Yeah, he heard the commotion, couldn't see what was happening. And so he began to ask, what's the commotion about? And that commotion got his attention, resulting in his conversion. I think Paul describes this best in Romans chapter 10, where he declares, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Christian, listen, the unbelievers around us, they're spiritually blind. And whether we're talking about an unbeliever begging on a corner or an unbeliever sitting in a corporate office, 
Every unbeliever on the planet today is spiritually blind. And they can't see that they need our Savior, Jesus. And what's truly sad is that there are many Christians tiptoeing around these blind people lest they hear us walking by. Many Christians walking on eggshells for fear of offending someone, disturbing the darkened state of these spiritually blind people. Why? If they're spiritually blind, they need a commotion so that they can hear their need for Jesus Christ. That's why I encourage every Christian to go make a commotion as we follow Jesus. We ought to be making a commotion in this world today and then so that the, the blind people around us, the, those who are spiritually blind, might hear about our commitment to Christ Jesus and ask, what's all this about? And as they ask, then we can present them with the gospel of peace so that they might too see our Savior and receive the mercy of our Messiah. From this, we can see then that the victorious vision of our Savior is received by those who have the ears that can hear the commotion that brings them to the gospel message by which we're saved. Not only that, though, but the victorious vision of our Savior is also embraced by those who have a heart that's ready to obey the calling of Christ. And with this as the focus, let's continue making our way through the text before us today. If you would look, let's pick up our study of Luke chapter 18. We'll begin reading there at verse 39. Here we learn that those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him saying, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. In these verses, we learn about the way in which this blind beggar was able to you know, present his prayer request to the Lord after the Lord called him to, to come to him. But as we consider the way that, that he ends up receiving the restoration of his sense of sight, we must not fail to notice how his faith in Jesus was immediately challenged by those in the crowd who were quickly calling him to be quiet rather than heeding the warnings of those who try to silence his faith. Luke tells us that the blind beggar cried out all the more. He, he's, he's like, oh, you want me to be quiet? <laughs> okay, all right. And he, and he shouts out, son of David, have mercy on me. I like the way that the scholars who created the New International Version of the Bible render verse 39. Here's how they put it. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. As we consider these leaders who rebuked him, we have to take a moment to ask, well, who were these leaders? Well, it's possible that these so-called leaders were the blind religious guides who came out to oppose the ministry of our Messiah. That's very possible. It's also possible that they were family members who were leading him by the hand. I imagine that, you know, you know, during this period of time, you have, you know, family members who are leading their, their, their loved ones with disabilities out to the edge of town so that they could engage in this begging. And so chances are the, uh, there was a family member leading this blind man back in, into the city. But regardless of the exact identity of these insensitive influencers, the one thing that we can say for certain is that they were warning this blind man uh, to, to be quiet. They, 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 they were warning him to be silent. 
And it's sad to say that not much has changed since the days of our Savior. As a matter of fact, we currently live in a culture where the message of the cross is oftentimes silenced by those who want us to tone it down. The message of the cross is oftentimes silenced by those who, who want the rest of the world to think that the gospel of peace, it's nothing more than hate speech. Now, these people claim to be the open-minded advocates of diversity, and they love diversity so long as your diversity fits into what they think is diverse. But the minute you disagree with their version of diversity, then they want to silence you. Well, how diverse is that? Wouldn't true diversity be accepting of whatever point of view is out there? Well, of course. And yet the peer pressure of today's cancel culture is silencing the voices of those who are excited about our Savior and they, they, they want to use any means possible to, to just close the mouth of those who would talk about our Messiah. If this sounds like something you struggle with and, and you're concerned about the, those who are in charge of cancel culture, I encourage you to consider the encouragement that Paul presented to the church in Rome. It's actually found in Romans chapter 12. It's verse two where Paul declares, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Rather than allowing the pure pressure of this world to press us into the socially acceptable mold that they want to force us into, we should instead allow the transforming truth of God's word to renew our minds so that we can think clearly about things. And in this way, we can become those believers who are able to see God's perfect will for our lives as we walk according to the victorious vision of Jesus Christ. And what this means then is that the victorious vision of our Messiah Jesus is provided to those who will ignore the corruption of worldly conformity so that we can then be transformed by the calling of Christ. Now, with that as the goal, I want to consider the example of the blind beggar that we find here in Luke chapter 18. If you would look with me there, beginning again at verse 39, here we learn that those who went before warned him that, they should be, that he should be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him saying, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord that I may receive my sight. Now, listen, rather than obeying those who were attempting to conform his, his faith into something that was more socially acceptable, the blind beggar just ignores all of that and cries out all the more. He's shouting for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and in response to this faith, Jesus stops. Rather than proceeding forward, Jesus stood still and, and then called for this person to come to him. And without hesitation, he rose up and he approached the Lord Jesus, all with the hope that, that our Messiah might restore his sense of sight. I like the way that Mark describes the obedience of this blind man. It's actually in Mark chapter 10, verse 49, where we learn that Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Now, now, just real quick, I just want to point out that Jesus, when he stood still, he commanded the apostles to call to him. 
Another picture of, of evangelism here. Jesus didn't call out to this individual. He commanded the apostles to call out to this individual. And so they called the blind man saying, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And in verse 50, we see the response that he threw aside his garment and rose and came to Jesus. Now remember, this is a beggar. This is a poor person. How many outer garments do you think this individual actually had? It's probably the only one he had. But it was hindering him from getting to Jesus. And so he just threw it aside. He's not worried about the cost of a new garment. He just rose up and, and, and threw aside his garment. Get that out of my way. I want to see Jesus. It's my guess that the followers of the Lord Jesus helped him to approach our Savior without stumbling over everything that was in his way. And as he arrived before the Lord, you know, his obedience was immediately blessed. But now before we take the time to consider the miracle, which uh, resulted in, in the restoration of his sight, I want to first take some time to consider the way that uh, the obedience of Paul uh, is very similar here in that it resulted in a miraculous restoration of sight. And so with this as the focus, let's consider the testimony that Paul presents uh, to, uh, you know, as he was standing there in Jerusalem under arrest and he, and he gives them his conversion story. It's actually found in Acts chapter 22. So hold your place here in the uh, gospel of Luke. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 22. As you make your way to the 22nd chapter of Acts, I just want to point out that we find Paul here recounting the events that unfolded on the day of his conversion. And, and you might not know this, but Paul, before he became the most prolific Christian evangelist in the primitive church, he was actually a, a religious Pharisee before that. He was, a, he was a religious Pharisee named Saul. And listen, Saul was completely committed to the persecution of Christians. As a matter of fact, his conversion actually took place on the road to Damascus. And the reason why he was headed to Damascus, well, it was with, with the goal of arresting Christians who were there and bringing them back to Jerusalem so that they could be further persecuted. And Paul tells us that before he arrived in Damascus, all of a sudden there was this great light from heaven that shone all around him and it blinded his eyes. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? With this context in mind, look with me here at Acts chapter 22. I want to pick up Saul's testimony beginning at verse 9. Here Paul declares, Those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see... For the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. Here in these verses, we learn about this day when Paul ended up losing his sense of sight. And the reason why is because he had been blinded by the glorious light of the Lord. I believe that this was the Lord's way of helping Paul to experience physically what was true spiritually. He was spiritually blind at this point in time. And so the Lord struck him with physical blindness so that in the midst of this physical blindness, he might be able to finally hear the call of Christ. 
Not only that, but it was during this time of physical blindness when Paul decided to obey the calling of Christ and, and he cried out, Lord. He said, what shall I do, Lord? Christ called to him in his blindness and he said, what shall I do, Lord? And in this, well, the Lord opened his spiritual eyes first and then afterwards opened his physical eyes. As a matter of fact, let's take another look here at Acts chapter 22. I, I want to pick up there at verse 12. Here Paul declares, Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Here in these verses, we learn about this day when the Lord blessed Paul's obedience by restoring his physical sense of sight. And yet we must not fail to recognize here that Paul's spiritual eyes had already been opened. Paul's spiritual eyes were opened on, at that moment when his eyes were blinded and he heard the calling of Christ and said, Lord, whatever you want, just tell me. That's when his spiritual eyes were opened. Paul heard the call of Christ in his physical blindness and responded with the obedience of faith. And it was at that moment when the Lord provided him with the spiritual sense of sight. And then days later, physical sight. Now listen, when I start talking about the obedience of faith, I just want to be clear about this. And just to be clear about this, I should remind you of a conversation that Christ Jesus had with a group of Jews who approached him with the question. They asked, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And it's in John chapter 6 where the Lord Jesus responded to them by, de by declaring this. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. You want to work the works of God? Believe in Jesus. The work that God has for us is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when I refer to the obedience of faith, I'm referring to the obedience that takes place when we say yes to the call of Christ. I like the way that the Apostle John put it in 1 John chapter 3. It's verse 23 where John cries out and says, This is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ. And love one another as he gave us commandment. Christian, listen, the Lord Jesus is calling every person to trust in him. And, and while it's true that every unbeliever is spiritually blind, it's also true that every unbeliever is able to hear the call of Christ. Not only that, but those who will answer the call of Christ by faith in the substitutionary sacrifice of our Savior, they then receive the victorious vision that's given to those who have a heart that obeys the voice of our Savior. The person who wants the victorious vision of Jesus Christ must simply say yes to his call and receive by faith the forgiveness of sins, the mercy of our Messiah. Now this brings us to our third and final point because listen, uh, while the victorious vision of our Savior is received by those who have ears that can hear the gospel of grace and the victorious vision of our Savior is embraced by those who have a heart that obeys the calling of Christ, the victorious vision of our Savior is also enjoyed by those who have feet that continue following the Lord. 
Now, to explain what I mean, let's make our way back to the 18th chapter of Luke's gospel account. Here we find the Lord Jesus. He's now restoring the physical sight of this blind beggar. And with that, I'd like you to begin reading with me there at verse 42. Here we learn that Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Now here in the final verses of this chapter, we learn about this day when the, the life of this blind beggar from Jericho was changed forever. Without a doubt, his life was completely changed after receiving his sense of sight. Just consider for a moment, this man was no longer uh, uh, you know, resorting to begging. He was now an able-bodied person who was able to go and work. He would be able to go out into the field and, and earn a living or to, to, to engage in some sort of occupation that he couldn't do before because he couldn't see. But now he's able to earn a living. And while this miracle was sure to change his life financially, it was also sure to cha- change his life emotionally. Just, just think about his concerns, the, the, the relational concerns about being a burden on his loved ones who you know, were, were constantly having to care for him. I'm guessing that this weighed on him that, you know, he was constantly needing someone to help him out. Or, or, or how about the emotional burden of all the stressful questions of why God allowed me to be born blind or why God isn't healing me today? There's a level of emotional stress in those sorts of questions that are hard to endure. And in one miracle, all of that is just wiped out. His life was changed forever. It's possible that you've been struggling with similar questions or or similar concerns. It's possible that you're struggling today with a a physical infirmity and the Lord has yet to heal you. Maybe you've been wrestling with those why questions. Why hasn't God healed me? Why does he, uh, he allow this? And if this sounds like your situation, then I encourage you to consider the the incredible statement that Jesus makes there at the end of verse 42. It's there where the Lord declares to the blind man, he says, your faith has made you well. And then he could see. It was the faith of the blind beggar that, that by which he was made well. And, and just to be clear about this, listen, it's not like his faith was powerful. It's not like his faith was, was magical. No, instead it was the faith of the blind beggar that brought him to the one who was able to heal his disability. Jesus is the one with the power. And his faith brought him to the one who was able to heal him. And listen, I'm here to tell you, the Lord is able to heal all of our infirmities. He is. Jesus is able to heal all of our infirmities. And, and, and listen, it's possible that you grew up in a church learning this. It's possible that maybe you even grew up in a church where preachers presented you with what's called the prosperity gospel, where they actually tell Christians who are still sick that they're still sick because they just don't have enough faith. If you grew up in that kind of a church, then chances are you saw sick Christians being treated like second-class citizens because, well, clearly they don't have enough faith to be, to be healed. And the faith of many ha- ha- has been ruined by these sorts of preachers who present this prosperity gospel. 
Please trust me when I tell you that the blind beggar wasn't healed because he had some extra measure of faith, some special quality about his faith that Jesus was like, well, you know, if your faith had been just a little bit less, then I wouldn't be doing this. But since it's that good, I will, right? That's ridiculous. It was simply his faith that brought the blind beggar to Jesus, and Jesus decided that this was the right time to heal this blind man of his disability. And listen, I can assure every Christian here today that the Lord Jesus is going to heal every single one of us who trusts in him. That is my guarantee to you. Biblically speaking, I know that Jesus Christ is going to heal every single born-again believer. Just might not be today. He'll heal us at the time of his choosing. To prove my point, I would direct your attention once again back to verse 42. It's there at the end of verse 42 where the Lord Jesus declares, your faith has made you well. Now the Greek word which here is rendered well it's a Greek word that refers to everlasting salvation. Whenever you see, uh, you know, in the New Testament, a uh, reference to salvation, this is that word. And it's for this reason that the scholars who created the Christian standard version of the Bible, they render verse 42 in this way. Receive your sight, Jesus told him, your faith has saved you. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. Receive your sight, he heals the blindness, and then says, your faith has saved you. By faith, you've been saved. I like the way that the scholars who created the King James Version of the Bible rendered this text. They put it like this. Jesus said unto him, receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. It's the faith of the blind beggar that actually resulted in his salvation. And bonus, the Lord Jesus also restored his sight. I'm here to tell you that this is the same salvation that eventually results in the resurrection of every born-again believer. And it's at that point in time of the resurrection when we will receive a brand new body which will forever be free of sickness and disease and disabilities. Now, we should most certainly ask for healing today. No problem with that. James even says, hey, if you're sick, call for the elders of the church. Have them pray for you, anointing you with oil. We should most certainly ask for healing today in the hopes that the Lord might provide us with physical health here on earth. But listen, even if the Lord Jesus heals us today, we're still going to die. We have to shed this, this fallen flesh before we can enter into heaven. The only way we're going to escape death is if we're caught up in the rapture. And, and yeah, let's pray that the rapture happens today. No amens? We got three more years of this, guys. I'm ready to go. There's coming a day when every born-again believer will be healed forevermore. There's coming a day when we will receive a brand new body as we enter into the presence of our Savior. 
And so that's why I can guarantee you without any doubt that if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be healed according to the timing of the Lord. Until that day, I encourage you, let's follow in the footsteps of the blind man that we find here in our text today who was just healed. It's Luke chapter 18. I want to focus your attention there at verse 43. It's there where Luke writes, and immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. As soon as the blind beggar received the restoration of his sight, he immediately decided to focus his faith on Jesus. And the proof of this can be seen in the way that he became a faithful follower of our Savior. In similar fashion, those who have received the spiritual side of salvation, well, we begin to, uh, to have this victorious vision by which the Lord helps us to see our need to follow him as our good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And those who have received the victorious vision of our Savior will understand the importance of following him. With that being the case, we should take a moment to examine our own lives by asking, you know, do I truly have feet that are following Jesus Christ? Do I have spiritual feet that are following Jesus? And with this question in mind, let's take another look there at verse 43. Here again, Luke writes, and immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. From this, I'd like to suggest that those who truly follow Jesus Christ are those who are glorifying God. And just to be clear, that word glorifying, well, it's translated from a Greek word, which was used of those who praise and magnify and celebrate the one who has saved us. The same Greek word was used of those who caused the dignity and the worth of the Lord to become manifest and acknowledged in the way that we follow him. And in light of the meaning of this word glorify, we can see then that those who are following Jesus, well, people are going to know that we're following Jesus because of the way that we proclaim the praises of God as we glorify his name. And not only that, but listen, our life will then begin to help others to begin praising the Lord as well. As a matter of fact, look again there at Luke 18, verse 43. Here again, Luke writes, And immediately he received a sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Luke here describes the way that the people who witnessed this miracle, they started praising the Lord too. And the reason why is because God was clearly being glorified in this incredible miracle. In similar fashion, listen, those who repent of their sins and follow our Savior Jesus Christ, we will become a source of praise as the people around us begin to recognize the way that God change, uh, has changed our life. Do the people around you rejoice in the Lord because of the way that he's changed your life since you came to faith in Jesus Christ? If not, then the question is, are you following Jesus? If you're following Jesus, your life will change. It's called the process of sanctification. If you're truly following Jesus, your life will change. And as your life changes, people around you will be like, hey, awesome, praise the Lord. And so are you truly following Jesus? 
We should take a moment to examine our own lives by asking, am I truly following the Lord according to the victorious vision of Jesus, or am I suffering from spiritual short-sightedness because I'm no longer living in the light of the Lord? And with this question in mind, I want to consider the encouragement that the Apostle Peter presents uh, to uh, the, the Christian audience that he wrote to in his second epistle. So turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, and as you make your way to the first chapter of 2 Peter I just want to take a moment to point out that those who fail to follow, continue following Jesus will end up stumbling around in the darkness. Yeah, you can receive the victorious vision of Jesus Christ, but then fall back and stumble in the darkness. You, you see, the, uh, a person with 20-20 vision still needs light to see, Right? You might have perfect vision, you might have 20-20 vision, and yet if we turn the lights off in here, and it was pitch black, 20-20 vision wouldn't be any different from a person who's blind, right? Well, think about it. The Lord Jesus is the spiritual light by which we're able to enjoy his victorious vision. And while those who follow Jesus by faith continue to walk in the light of the Lord, the born-again believer who pursues their own path will end up walking further and further away from the light of the Lord. And as a result, they end up suffering from spiritual short-sightedness. And the reason why is because they're no longer following the light. They're no longer walking with Jesus. That being the case, we should take a moment to ask, you know, am I truly walking in the light of the Lord or am I stumbling around in the darkness by my own choosing? In order to answer this question, let's consider the, the path of light that's placed before us. We find it spelled out here in 2 Peter chapter 1. Look with me there in the middle of verse 5. Here, Peter encourages his audience to become diligent believers by declaring, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his own old sins. Peter here is helping his audience, and it's an audience of Christians. He's writing to believers. He's helping them to see the spiritual steps taken by those who are walking on the, uh, on the path of the Lord's light. Those who are truly following Jesus will begin to add to the faith virtue. So, so we begin our relationship with Jesus by faith, but it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. Faith, well, we need to add to our faith virtue, and then we add to our virtue knowledge. Those who truly follow Jesus will then add to their knowledge self-control, and we will add to our self-control perseverance. Those who truly follow Jesus will add to their perseverance godliness. And to our godliness, we'll begin to add brotherly kindness, and to the brotherly kindness we'll begin to add the agape love of the Lord, which leads us to sacrifice for one another. This is the clear path taken by those who are following Jesus Christ according to his victorious vision as we walk on this path of light. At the same time, we should also notice, the, again, the warning that, Paul, uh, that Peter presents there in verse 9. 
Here we learn that he who lacks these things is short-sighted. They don't have great vision. They're short-sighted, even to blindness, he says, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Yeah, these are people who have been cleansed from their sins. And yet they're failing to traverse the illuminated path of spiritual perfection. And instead they've become short-sighted saints. They've received the spiritual vision of our Savior by faith. And yet they started choosing to walk in spiritual darkness as they pursue the things of this wicked world. As a result, these believers have become like, you know, people who are blessed with 2020 vision, and yet they decide to hinder their ability to see by wearing one of those, you know, blackout sleep masks that a lot of people wear at, at night. Maybe you have one. Some people that struggle to sleep, they'll put on one of these blackout sleep masks. It doesn't allow light in at all. You can't see anything. Now imagine getting out of bed and going about your day wearing that same mask despite the fact that you've got 20-20 vision. Who would do that? That would be silly. And yet, spiritually speaking, the church is filled with believers walking around in this sort of darkness. If this sounds like your situation, then I encourage you to remember that those who have received the victorious vision of, uh, of the Lord by faith in Jesus Christ, we should choose to then follow in the footsteps of Jesus so that we can continue walking in the light by which we see. With this as the goal, I encourage you to add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control. Add to your self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. As we do this, we will become those believers who are glorifying God as we continue following our Savior Jesus. Now, as we begin to wrap up this study, I encourage you to remember that the victorious vision of our Savior is received by those who have ears that hear the gospel of grace. The victorious vision of our Savior is embraced by those who have a heart that obeys the calling of Christ by placing their faith in Jesus. And finally, the victorious vision of our Savior is enjoyed by those who have the feet that are ready to follow Christ Jesus as we continue to walk in the light of the Lord. And with that being the case, I just conclude our time by encouraging you. Let's continue following in the footsteps of this blind beggar who received his sight by faith in Jesus Christ and then decided to become a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's follow his example. Let's follow our Savior. And, and in light of the example of this man, it's my prayer that we would all become those believers who are not only able to see God's plan for our lives, but who are also living a life that actually glorifies the Lord according to the victorious vision of our Savior, Jesus. Let's pray.